0: Hello and welcome to
1: Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org but we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world we also have listeners from all over the world so good morning good afternoon or good evening wherever you may be listening from today and if you're new to the show let me tell you what the show is about leadership beyond borders is about the impact globalization digital transition and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive a long-term success in today's economy in this series we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time, or if you miss us live, that's no problem because we're on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitch to Spotify. You can follow us, find us all over the net. And you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even propel your career. Now, you can also reach out to me, reach out to Kimberly Lewis at leadership beyond borders at gmail.com. And let me know what you would like to hear. What kind of subjects would you like to hear on this Broadcast. Let me know also, you know, new ideas. Um, if you have something that you've heard on another broadcast or a speaker, you can certainly send me their names, and we'll be happy to get in touch. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week, and we will make sure that you take away something useful, either for your business or for yourself. Now, on to today's episode. We're going to talk about one of my Favorite subjects. And in the wake of major social and political incidents and the emergence of the new economy, a changing workforce that focuses on inclusivity, many companies are taking steps to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion through corporate programs. Yet progress in most sectors remains slow because many of them do not really know or understand how to change systems. Many times programs are led by HR staff that don't really understand DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, or they measure things by the numbers, thinking that the numbers alone will show or drive change. Other times, programs are initiated by leaders who believe it is fashionable or legally correct to do things and is delegated downward, but they remain unengaged. Now, it was challenging to keep our emphasis on solutions, and there really is no silver bullet. There's no one answer, one single solution for DEI. Yet pushing ourselves to think outside the box and draw on the best evidence that exists, we can focus on systems and maybe move the needle a little bit. Now, our guest today has taken a broader view on inclusivity and equity and calls it developing equity. Minal Bopaya, is the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. She is the founder of Brevity and Wit, a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, and equity, and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves and the world. She has written for the Stanford Social Innovation Review and The Hill and has been a featured guest on numerous podcasts and shows, including many shows across the world. She has also been a keynote speaker for many conferences, inspiring thousands with her credible, authentic, engaging tasks. So, Mino, you know, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Kimberly, for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So just,
1: um, it seems like this has been a subject that's interested you for some time, And, but what drive drove you to write the book?
2: Uh I would say that it was a uh, a combination of things. One, um I kind of grew up with this sense that the world wasn't rooting for me and I, so I think all my life I've been looking for the language to express that and as someone who's naturally a writer, um you know like the 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 ability to use language to explain an experience has always been fascinating to me. Um Two, I am married to a firefighter and paramedic who we joke is the opposite of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. It is not about feelings or processes as much. And um, in sort of sharing our worlds with one another, you know, it really became a question of like, well, how do you bring this work to somebody whose worldview is so radically different? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I share a story in the book about... um, to some colleagues of his who went to a conference and they talked about LGBTQ and the captain was like, what does Q stand for? And the facilitator said queer. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I literally got called onto the carpet for using that word 10 years ago. <laughs> and then the whole takeaway from this three-day diversity conference for this captain was like, guys, we can say queer now.
1: Yeah.
2: Like that. Their take- <laughs> yeah. <a> great story. <laughs> <laughs> And so that, you know, I really wanted to write the book for people like that or for organizations like that, where you have people who are really concrete and task oriented and really do want to be kinder and more inclusive, but are not interested in engaging in a philosophical discussion around it. Mm -hmm. They want to know how do we what do you want me to do differently? How,
1: how do you kind of move the needle? And, um, and we're going to come to that. But I, I, this story, you know, you had a couple other stories in your book. And one, one of the things that I never thought of that when you and you open the book with it is is looking at the educational system in the U.S. And I have to say it may be a little different here in Europe, but um, the observations that you make, would you like to share those with the audience? Because it's something I really never thought about.
2: Yeah, um, and I thought it was important to share that as a as a second gen, you know, kid with my parents being immigrants coming from India. And so I, I talk about how my parents came here in 1976 with relatively nothing except their medical degrees. And they were able to build a life for themselves and live this sort of proverbial American dream with all of its trappings, including a house and cars and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and we and they worked very hard. But we have this narrative about how if you work hard, you'll experience success, and that's not the Mm -hmm. full equation. There's a system underneath that that really also contributes to somebody's success or not. And I talk about how in India, even though my parents came from very humble beginnings, they were able to go to medical school for what the family lore is about $50 a semester. And so they were able to come here with a debt-free education. And the only reason they were able to come here is because America during that time uh, had a perceived labor shortage of doctors and the U.S. immigration system systematically uses immigration to fill its labor shortages instead mm-hmm. of training up its the current residents of the country. And so... What we have in the U.S. is an education system that is funded by property taxes. And if you go to any other country, whether it is a country like India or a country or European Mm -hmm. allies like Germany, that is perceived as a pretty bonkers system. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
2: fundamentally, parents are able to buy their children's education via a home mortgage. Yeah. And so the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Mm-hmm. And I fundamentally believe that if we had socialized education the way we do in India and in Germany and in other mm-hmm. countries, um, you would see just as many American-born citizens with poor parents and dark skin who become doctors and lawyers and engineers as you do in the Indian diaspora. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that that
1: was I, – I think it's really important pointing out and, and being um, – in, in Europe and and watching also the American system and and watching some of my friends and um, my brother's childrens, I, it never really. You know, dawned on me um how what the structure the system was behind it, and the system actually doesn't open the doors for everybody where here in Germany, yes, you could you can go be a doctor, of course, you have to study. It's basically on how well you do in the school, how well your mm-hmm. grades are, and it doesn't matter if you're in a very rich neighborhood or a very poor neighborhood okay mm-hmm. um so I, I think that was very important to bring to light um, do, so moving on a little bit. When we talk about equity and we talk about equality, okay, sometimes people, you know, get that mixed up, okay? Mm -hmm. And so so can you help us kind of clarify that in our minds? Sure, sure. My pleasure.
2: So um, in simplest terms, equality is when everyone gets the same thing. Equity is when everyone gets what they need to thrive and participate fully, Equity doesn't fault people for being different. It it actually embraces difference and then leverages it in order to create, you know, more innovation, to to draw on the strengths of people according to their diversity. Now, that doesn't mean that equality is bad. And I I need to spend some time talking about this because this is what happens. People start to think, oh, we don't want equality anymore. We want equity. No, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. What we want is the wisdom to know which one do we need given the situation. So... For example, in the LGBTQ uh, plus community, uh, there was a move in like the early 2000s for civil unions in the United States to be the mechanism by which homosexual couples um, or non-traditional couples of any gender could um, have something similar to the legal rights of marriage. But the LGBTQ plus community very wisely deemed that only marriage equality would allow them to have the full rights and protect their rights in um, uh, relationships and in family structures to the same level that heterosexual family structures were protected. And so they made a move for marriage equality, which is everybody gets the same thing regardless of sexual orientation right Mm -hmm. or gender. On the flip side, equity is used very much in our school systems where if your child has a learning disorder like dyslexia, they are entitled to extra time, either with the teacher or with a tutor, in order to read at the level of their peers. So they get a different allocation of resources in order to be able to hit the same level and and participate fully in their education. Okay. So when –
1: and that was a really good – explanation on the difference. Um, So then when we talk about I'm taking that difference and when we talk about DEI movements, you know, diversity, Mm -hmm. equity and inclusion. Why is it DEI equity and not DEI equality?
2: Yeah, I think because so the goal of DEI should be equal access to opportunity.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: However, we need equity in order to ensure equal access to opportunity, because not everybody's starting at the same starting line.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So equity is looking at the system and saying, how is this system um, privileging or marginalizing people based on their identity?
1: Okay, okay. so that, that's clear. So that's why we call it DEI. And, um, but when we're talking about DI, a lot of times people just jump to inclusion. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, how how do we kind of make the three things equal and and not just focus on the inclusion?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I have a line in the book that, you know, we want to jump to DEI, equity is often the middle child in DEI, and we also want to jump to those warm and fuzzy feelings of inclusion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's because the, inclusion is very feelings-based, and that's a mm. nice place to feel be. And people, I think, have this desire to feel affirmed and to be seen and to feel kindness and like they belong, right? So it's not that inclusion is... Uh, is not valued. It is, it's really critical. Equity is a little bit more difficult because it's talking about systems and structures and policies and procedures and things that make our head hurt. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: But as a, you know, as an immigrant kid, you know, you're taught young that you got to know how to do difficult things if you want to go anywhere in life.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good.
2: <laughs> so we're, this is really interesting, and I'm so
1: glad you're clarifying this for us. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to I want to dive into a little bit more and and talk a little bit about values and what role they play, and um, talk about um, idea. The you know this the how you help design how you're starting to look at designing DEI systems, and for our listeners, we are talking t- to Minal Bohapaya. And she's the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. And she is the founder of Brevity & Wit, a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design behavior – Change Science and the Principles of Inclusion, Diversity and Equity and Accessibility to Help Organizations Transform Themselves. Now, her book, Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives, is available on Amazon, a great read. And if you'd like to reach out to her, you can reach out to her on her website, brevityandwit.com. And also, there's another website for the book, TheEquityBook.com, and she is on Facebook under Brevity and Wit, and on Twitter also, and on Instagram under Brevity and Wit, and on LinkedIn under company Brevity and Wit. And you can reach out to her on any of those social media channels or the website. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and does legislative white papers focused on digital transition. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Tune in each week for The Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're talking with an expert in that area, we're talking to Minil Bopaya. And she's the author of How to Design Organizations Where Everybody Thrives. And she's also the founder of Brevity and Wit, a strategy and design firm that combines human centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, and equity, and accessibility to help organize our organizations transform themselves around the world. And um, we were just talking uh, a middle before the break about um, DEI. And if you're just tuning in, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, we talked about why everybody kind of jumps to the fuzzy inclusion part. Um, but in this whole DEI DEI, what role do values play? You talk about a lot about you growing up um, and your parents coming over and, you know, I grew up differently. Um, You know, where does values play in this entire picture?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, we spend a chapter of the book talking about uh, communications because I actually think it's been neglected in terms of DEI and how to effectively communicate about DEI. And before we even get to how to communicate about DEI, anybody who's a communications specialist and understands change communications, particularly behavior change communications, will acknowledge that it's really hard to, tra- to change people's core values. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible. And so what most behavior change specialists end up doing is figuring out how they can map the behavior they want to see onto the, the existing core values. And so values really matter when it comes to this work because, you know, part of DEI is diversity. Like people get to value different things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so long as none of those values rest upon dehumanization of others, you're allowed to have different values. And I don't expect anybody to really value diversity, equity, and inclusion as much as I do as a DEI practitioner. Like, this is what I want to spend my days talking about. I understand that for people like my husband or, you know, my family or friends, that's not what they want to spend their day talking about. And so my job is to help them see how inclusive and equitable behaviors map onto the existing things that they value. So for my husband and and his colleagues, it might be public safety and a sense of um, being good at their job. And so then I have to show how inclusive and equitable behaviors help them be better at their job and help them ensure more public safety, Mm -hmm. right? For a CFO, it might be financial stability. So I need to show how diversity, equity, and inclusion ensures the long-term financial sustainability of an organization. Mm -hmm. And so we talk very much about um, mapping DEI to people's existing core values instead of believing that you're ever going to get people to change their fundamental core value to be the exact same as yours. Because frankly, how boring would this world be if we all valued the same thing?
1: Yeah, and and I'm going to stay on this for a little bit because mapping the DEI and, ma- and recognizing the core values is also, um, you talk a lot in your book and, uh, you know, a very interesting subject is also recognizing what those values are and the unconscious biases we have, okay? Um, and so… How do you, you know, is that part of the first step in this is, you know, kind of reflection or helping your husband's colleagues, you know, recognize their values or recognize their unconscious biases? How do you work with that?
2: Yeah. So the way we usually work in organizations is we start with leadership Mm -hmm. and leadership mindset matters a lot. So what the leaders really believe, what their mindset is, how they view their employees, Whether they view employee salaries as an expense or as an investment, that sort of mindset and philosophy and and philosophical shift is really important. But then when you're getting to scaling DEI, I don't think you need to actually – do that sort of inner, in-depth inner work across the organization. I think you actually then need to, like if leadership serves as a role model for what behaviors are acceptable and unacceptable, their philosophy will infuse the organization, particularly in the private sector, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we see this all the time. The the philosophy of leaders is baked into the DNA of organizations. And so if you shift the mindset of leaders, then you shift the organization. But then once that philosophy is baked in, you start to see it without people even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to do is we want to design organizations where it is easier to opt into inclusive behaviors than it is to opt out.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, of course, you're starting the leadership and it casts decades down and those Mm -hmm. behaviors are going to be copied Um, or, you know, as you said, yeah, they'll be copied from or valued from the rest of the organization. So when you start to design these programs, you talk you talk about um, using ED, okay, and um, and designing using, you know, three different steps in this. Can you talk about how you really start to design these DEI programs?
2: So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of the prerequisites for equity and, and for designing an equitable organization is that leaders need to value difference. Now, mm-hmm. that in of in itself is somewhat of a shift because we, most of us, have been socialized to be afraid of difference. So that is really opening it up and saying like, oh, like when I see when I meet someone who's different from than me, am I going to judge them for that difference or am I going to make room that allows that person to be who they are and maybe they play a role in this world that I'm not meant to play and therefore their difference is totally valid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can, can I just ask a question on that? Cuz you're talking about valuing difference.
1: And and we all know in in practice, a lot of times leaders have in their mind who they're going to hire or they hire similar people to themselves. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's always been proved over and over again, diverse teams are much better. How how do you shift that behavior?
2: So that's a little bit more nuanced in that it requires sort of two things. One, you need to get really clear about what are the actual qualifications of the job versus what are your preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you start to value difference because it, 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 you know, I don't want to make it, I, you know, I, I want to be clear in my speaking, but I don't want to make it sound trite. Because if we just say you have to value difference, and that all differences are equal, that can sometimes lead people to think like, oh, like, you know, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, and they mm-hmm. start to, Like, they're not clear about, for this job, what is the type of person I need? And what are things that are just, like, my preferred way of working that are not relevant to this person succeeding in this job? Um, So that's sort of how you get them to shift. But Mm -hmm. then also say, but then they also need to expose themselves. Like, leaders need to expose themselves through their own personal network to people who are different than them. If you have, and that's a that's a matter of courage. If you have a leader who's not courageous enough to put himself or herself in situations where they might be the only one of their identity or, um, you know, in situations where they are unfamiliar with the cultural norms and they're trying to, you know, gain their footing, then this work is almost a non-starter. Mm-hmm. Like, you need yeah. leaders who are that sort of curious and adventurous and brave
1: mm-hmm. to do this work yeah. yeah that that makes a lot of sense and you're right and of course that's what we need today and, and you know today in this complex world anyways those are leaders that are brave um so move moving on into this design you're starting with this this value difference and then what else do you look at
2: then you want to be able to see systems and this is really what I try to um, help people develop in the book is this system site because I think very few of us actually have it, um, and I think it. Um, there are some tools for like you sort of being able to reframe your own story of success or your own narrative of your professional career in a way that attributes, um, that credits the system around you, whether that system was um, a community. Um, family members such as your spouse or your education system or even like the laws and policies of your country that may have allowed you or your ancestors to gain um, a financial advantage and then build generational wealth, right? So you need to be able to see the system at play if you really want to redesign it.
1: Mm-hmm. okay and and that is hard to do because it, even just as you explained in the beginning of the book I never thought about the systems of education so mm-hmm. I mean yeah. you know and now you got me thinking about all other different systems so yeah. so yeah it is that is really difficult and then you know once you kind of get this idea on the systems you you talk about a third step mm-hmm. that you take along
2: the way Yeah. And that's using your power as a leader to create more opportunities for other Mm -hmm. for others. And that's like, you know, I've ever since I've written the book, I've realized, you know, that equity, the building blocks of equity are power, money and time. Mm -hmm. And all of those are somewhat taboo. But power particularly, because what happens is people talk about sharing power, and then leaders start saying things like, we're all empowered in the organization, and that is disingenuous. Mm -hmm. You know, they get, they want, they they think that that's what people want to hear, and maybe that is what people want to hear, but that's not really true, because as the CEO, you bear more financial and legal responsibility for the company.
1: Of course, yeah.
2: You know? And so, therefore, you have to be more authentic in your in how you talk about power, and then how you share power. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, power has kind of a negative
1: connotation where it really yeah. shouldn't. Because if you think about a leader using power, it could be using power to to ensure that that more diverse to, um, mm-hmm. people are being hired, or you're giving a chance to um, you know underprivileged. You know, yeah. people to get products or whatever. So, power, you know, power is not necessarily. This is a,
2: yeah. If there's like one thing I've really realized doing this work is by making certain words taboo, like power and money, we avoid the critical conversations we have. Power and money are actually neutral, it's what you do with them.
1: Yes. Okay. Very excellent point. And if you use them for something good, then you can use that and try to shift systems but using power and coming back to the system question i mean shifting systems is difficult especially if they've been there for a long time yeah. um it, it, you know is it do we have to think of it as like a big shift or even little steps can 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 help dei programs you know how do you help start to shift those systems
2: yeah i think part of it is doing so organization, just like leaders have to be more honest about their power, organizations and companies need to be more honest about the power that they have. If you are a small company of less than 50 people, you have a lot less influence on the system than if you are a large company like Nike or Amazon, right? Yeah, and course. so you have to acknowledge that first and do a power analysis as an organization. What systems do you actually have the power to change or not? Mm-hmm. When you're able to do that, then we can have a much more con- like honest conversation about what systems you can actually shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. so then we figure out what's the scale of this change. How big or small is it based on the amount of power that you have?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do because, as you said, you know, it all all comes down to being honest. And you know sometimes, even if people want help in in shifting their companies or shifting their systems um it's kinda of, it's hard for leaders to admit that you know everything might not be one hundred percent like it should be <laughs> so um, good. So um we're gonna Minal, we're gonna take a short break and when we come back, I wanna I wanna talk about a couple of things you talk um in your book. Um stay on this leadership subject and you talk about rehumanizing and um ask you to, you know, once we get this done, how do we communicate this? Which I think you you started to talk about it in the beginning. I think is very, very important. So for our listeners, we are talking to Minil Popaya. And she is the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everybody Thrives. She is the founder of Brevity and VIT, a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, and equity, and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves around the world. Um, she's written for the Stanford Social Innovation Review, The Hill, and she's been a feature guest on a number of podcasts and shows. And the book... Equity: How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives is available on Amazon. Now, if you'd like to reach out to her, you can go to brevityandwit.com. She also has another website, theequitybook.com, and she is on all social media—Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram—under Brevity and Wit, and on LinkedIn under the company profile Brevity and Wit. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach out to me, Kimberly Lewis at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing local search associations that help small and medium businesses across Europe thrive. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice
2: America Business Channel.
0: You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking to Minil Bopaya, and she is the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. She's the founder of Brevity and Wit, a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, and equity and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves around the world. And so we've been talking about how to to implement DEI that's... um, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in organizations. And um, Middle, we're talking, we're talking, we're kind of on a leadership role, what leaders have to do. And in your book, you talk about um, centering and rehumanizing. What is that? What do you mean by that? You mean that in the organizational sense or from the leader focus?
2: Yeah, I think I mean it across the organization. Um, you know, we are, um, particularly in the U.S., but I think globally, we have gotten so used to dehumanization, we don't even recognize it when we do it sometimes. Um, and so we, and and the people, particularly people who have been pushed to the margins of society, whether that is through systemic racism or a caste system in India or laws that are discriminatory towards LGBTQ plus folks, um you know, when people are living on the margin margins of society, they really have been dehumanized in some way. And so, what this work is really about is allowing people who have previously been pushed to the margins to occupy the center. Mm-hmm. And and that is uh, that in of in itself is an act of rehumanizing them. And. Um, then leads to some really innovative organization design. So, for example, most of our organizations have been designed for straight white men who are married um, and had somebody at home taking care of the kids for free. Mm-hmm. If if we were to design an organization for single mothers, you know, right now when a salesperson goes on a call, they can expense any like food or drinks, alcoholic drinks, as a business expense. But mm-hmm. if a single mother needs to get somebody to watch her kids in order to go on a sales call, that is not an acceptable business expense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: If we were to design organizations with single mothers in mind, that would probably be a business expense because it's absolutely critical to being able to do your job.
1: right right, yeah and you know what this doesn't this go back to the systems so the systems Mm -hmm. are designed this way and when you talk about rehumanizing the first word that comes to my mind is accessibility because Mm -hmm. you said these these organizations are um and are you know for uh, built for white men
2: who Mm -hmm. have people
1: at home to take care of the kids so they're not accessible to the woman okay and um, just, to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on the pandemic because all mm-hmm. of a sudden, when everybody was in lockdown, um, things changed and work was more accessible. Um, do you think that? I mean, uh, let's not look at the negative um, aspects, but I think there's some positive things that came out of the pandemic as far as making work more accessible. What What is your opinion on that?
2: Yeah. So when we're talking about accessibility, we're really talking about the disability community and Mm -hmm. um, whether it's physical or mental disabilities and the disability community has been asking and demanding remote work for years, Mm -hmm. for years and years and years. And it was only when able-bodied people without neurodiversity who were inconvenienced by the pandemic that companies made it a priority and made it happen. So clearly this has always been possible. Um, And we just haven't done it because of a lack of political will. And so I do think that there are gains to be made from that. But Mm -hmm. as you said, there were, you know, there was also a very famous headline in the U.S. that said, you know, most countries have a social safety net. The U.S. has women. Yeah. And so a large proportion of women left the workforce because of the lack of adequate childcare because people were forced to homeschool and our system is not set up to support women going to work.
1: Yeah, and that comes back to the system. <laughs> Circle yeah. back to the system. I mean, if you look at if you look at especially the best is, best systems in um, in Norway or Sweden, um, where there's accessible child care, mm-hmm. that system is set up to ensure that women can be part of the workplace. And um, and so I do I agree with you. I think accessibility is talking about. Um, you know, disabled people but I also think it's it's opening doors you know and making making those jobs accessible to everybody and I think um, so when you talk and when you talk about centering so you're talking about rehumanizing mm-hmm. and and making sure that you know the focus on the person and centering what do you mean by that you talk about centering <laughs>
2: Yeah, so centering – so our system either centers certain people or it marginalizes Mm -hmm. certain people. And centering is about allowing those people who have been pushed to the margins to hold the center. So we have a big myth in our society, I think. I think um, there's a hidden belief or assumption that many of us have that, um, you know, women revolve around men, that gayness revolves around straightness, and that people of color revolve around white people. Mm -hmm. That male and straight and white is the default and all of the rest of us are others, are deviations from that default. And what centering is saying is no, that, Mm -hmm. you know, a um, gay woman of color with a disability gets to hold the center and have society design around her needs.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. And actually, if you put that picture
1: that you just did in your brain, and I'm a very graphic person, it's pretty scary when it's white male in the center and everybody else revolving around them, um, if you kind of put it graphically in your head. So how? So coming back to this, how, how do we move this? How do we move this needle mental? You know? Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean, golden bullet to move it forward. Okay. <laughs> all right. I mean, I, you're doing work with individual companies, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's an important step. Um, you know, a, a question. Here in Europe, we've had some legislative movements, um, uh, gender balance on boards for publicly held companies. Um, you know, that all of a sudden went started a frantic scram for people to put dei programs in okay um ones that probably weren't there and that's what i talked about in in the beginning you know why are you doing it and how do you move you know how do you need legislative pushes you know how do you move it forward
2: yeah so um i think you know you do need i think some legislative pushes like the the actual whole system the laws that govern us need to be changed That I believe. I also believe that it's sort of a three-step process in that first we have to start with like awareness and education, like developing a shared language because we all have different – not everybody's starting at the same place in terms of their actual even understanding. Like Like I spent a whole book talking about equity. I have heard DEI practitioners just explain equity wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So we need to first establish like a baseline of like, here's what we're talking about. Here's what this would look like. You know, then we need to spend some time skill building, giving people the opportunity to unlearn what they've learned, to learn new skills and to practice those skills in a safe enough environment where they can make mistakes and fail and recover. After we've done some awareness in education and done some skill building, then we can put in accountability measures that hold people with power accountable for ensuring that we reach certain goals and that these behaviors are seen in organizations and that our laws reflect the behaviors we want to see in our society.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so move it, once you start to do this, I mean, part of this is getting awareness out there on getting communication out there. You're talking about communication in the beginning. Um, these are the steps we take, but how do how do we move the organizations to want to take these steps and to want to take them for the right reasons? Not, you know, legislation pushes the needle a little bit and it did help yeah. here in Europe. But, you know, how, how, how do we communicate that this is important?
2: Yeah, I mean, we are living in unprecedented times, you know, like, I find it interesting that people like to say like, oh, 2020 was so rough or 2021 because of the pandemic. I was like, what makes you think it's going to get easier? <laughs> like, I don't know where that belief comes from, because we are we are in the middle of a climate crisis. Um, we like, you know, the, the next generation of kids, we have removed adversity and replaced it with trauma. Mm-hmm. They are undergoing active shooter drills. Europe has a massive, um, you know, challenge in dealing with refugees in an equitable manner. Yeah. Right? The amount of wars that are going on and black ops and, like, not to mention cybersecurity. Like, the world is uncertain and volatile right now. And the, in my belief, the only thing that is going to allow us to lead in that sort of environment is values-based leadership where mm-hmm. we stay true to our principles and we display courage and moral imagination and are able to envision a new world. And so doing this is no longer a like, do you want to do it? If you're, if you want your organization to be relevant, then you need to do this work because the next generation of talent is Absolutely, like DEI simply is for Jen. It's not even like something to ask whether you would or wouldn't do it. So it simply is for them. And you need to like, like if you wanna recruit the best talent, you need to get on board. But more importantly, the challenges that your organization is gonna face, the challenges that our society faces um, is going to need liberatory uh, models of power, is gonna need uh, better forms of democracy, It is going to need innovation and creativity to meet the challenges of of the climate crisis Um, and to figure out a way that we can use the world's resources to benefit the most people because, frankly, this idea of infinite growth and taking more than what one needs is an outdated idea that is not going to survive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see that with the with the the climate issues, the environmental issues, and um, um, it was interesting though, Manel. I saw they had a documentary on um, German television yesterday that that said that during the pandemic, um, many people did mim- minimalize. Okay, mm-hmm. um, did you did you see any of that in the United States? It's just kind of a side question, just curious. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: I think I think a lot of people have, and I think that's what's led to like what we are now calling the Great reson- Resignation in the U.S. Yeah, you know, people are like, I think I think some people did. I also think that um, the majority of people are not good with knowing what to do with their time if they're mm-hmm. not busy, and so a lot of people I think overworked because they didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, And I think that has led people to really spend a lot of time reflecting Mm -hmm. and thinking about how do they want to spend their time on Earth. You know, Randy Pausch, who is a Carnegie Mellon professor who gave um, a famous lecture called The Last Lecture um, when he was dying of cancer. And um, after that lecture, though, he gave a second lecture on time management, which I... saw on youtube and which i thought was a fascinating topic up until the end of it where he said like i mean it seems like such a mundane topic for a dying man to be talking about until the last bit of it where he's like all we get is time
1: yeah that's true that's true yeah that's uh i i did i saw that also and it's very interesting um. So, speaking of time, we're almost out of time, and we, you and I, could keep talking, chatting, chatting forever. And for our listeners, but for our listeners, um, we got a lot of leaders out there. Okay. Um, your message to those leaders, on you know their, what they should be doing, what they should be focusing on to mm-hmm. to help move us in the right
2: direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, my message to leaders. I mean my message to leaders is really to be to be brave mm-hmm. um, and to 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 start to value differences mm-hmm. to open up your mind to valuing differences uh and you know like I said, that starts with an awareness and education. So we do a lot of keynotes with organizations to come and talk to leaders um, and to work with leaders one-on-one in order to help them to unlearn the things that we have all been socialized to, to believe so, uh, as part of the system and to really allow yourself, you know, liberation is the freedom to think in a whole new different way.
1: Yeah.
2: And that opens up opportunities for you that you probably never even saw before.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's a great message. You know, be brave, value differences, and um, I think what you said, open yourself up because that'll open up opportunities. So, um, great last words, um, Minil, and really interesting discussion. Thank you so much. Um, our, to our listeners, we've been talking to Minil Bopaya, and she is the author of Equity How to Design Organizations Where Everybody Thrives, and she's the founder of Brevity and Wit, a strategy. And design firm that combines human centered design, behavior change, science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, and equity and accessibility to help organizations and leaders transform themselves and the world. Now, the book is available on Amazon. Equity, how to design organizations where everybody thrives. A great book. Every leader should go on Amazon right after the show and get it and read through it. And if you'd like to reach out to Minnell, you can reach out to her on brevityandwit.com. She also has another website where the book is also available, theequitybook.com. And she is on every social media channel under Brevity and Wit. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And on LinkedIn, the company Brevity and Wit is on LinkedIn as a company. So please reach out to her. And mental thank you so much. Great discussion. Thank and you,
2: Kimberly. This has yeah. been such a pleasure for me. Yes,
1: and it's been a pleasure for me too. And I'm sure it's been a pleasure for our listeners. And to our listeners, please don't forget 3 p.m. specific time every week on Tuesday. And please tune in to us again next week. So bye-bye for now.